Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 29. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my fashionable, with-it, and hip guest co-host, Chris LaSalle. Welcome, Chris. Hey, man. Thank you. Welcome. I was actually looking around the room like, who are you talking about? Uh, thank you, sir. Great to be here. I'm excited. Love. Uh, I'm a huge Tron fan, so uh, I'm glad to be back. Excellent. All right, we'll go through minute 29 here. So what happens in this minute? Uh, Dr. Laura Baines and Flynn continue their break-in as they walk deeper into the guts of the linear accelerator. The actual, for real, still blows my mind, linear accelerator. Do you know, okay, t tell me with all of your extensive research that you've been doing, what is a linear accelerator? Is that a real thing or is that a fictional thing? No, that's a real thing. It's an actual linear accelerator. And what it is, well, you know the particle accelerator? It's a, it's a, it's a particle accelerator. The ones that they yep. built out at, uh, was it CERN? The big one yeah, CERN. that they did to try yep, to discover. The the, yeah, the circular one. That was, they needed two two things going in opposite directions so that they could collide them in a super collider to to make particles hit each other but yep. what a linear accelerator does is it's just a big like a rail gun it's just like a big gun and it shoots the directions in one it shoots the lasers in one direction so they don't try to so okay. yeah you have to get a whole bunch of electromagnets to focus and uh and and mirrors and computers the the power and precision that needs to happen for these lasers to hit their targets is something else. And uh, they're used a lot in uh, radiotherapy for like cancer and stuff like that. We, we get into it, we, we get into it in my, in my notes later, but it's, a, it's basically a one-way accelerator. It's just, it's a big laser gun is what it is. I knew you were going to have the answer for me. That's yeah. awesome. And they shoot it. They, <laughs> they, what they're trying to do at Lawrence Livermore is hit fissionable materials with high-powered lasers in an effort to get more energy out of the explosion that they put in. So they're trying to find a, like a, a fusion. Uh, I don't know if it's fusion or fission, but it's trying to find that energy source. That's what they've been trying to do there for a long time. So, Very cool. Oh, but patents the and future, stuff? The future oh. is coming. The future is, is like... I wouldn't be surprised if they actually were working on like... Dis like what we see in this movie I don't think is too far off what they will actually do one day right yeah so Flynn asks if Dr. Laura Baines is going to stay and she retorts I thought you never needed help remember and he responds come on I get scared of the dark and all this technology scares me in an ADR as they continue to quote unquote sneak in I love they're, they're looking around like is anybody looking you know like they're uh you know, tiptoeing. Yeah, I'm like, guys, guys. All the all the lights are on. Everything's like it looks like the place is you know in operation. Just yeah. uh, grab a clipboard and a and a white jacket and walk around like you know what you're doing. Just you know, you're so yeah. suspicious right now. Oh, it's wild. So is he just being? Uh, is Flynn being like sarcastic at this point? Is scared of the dark and all this technology scares me? Isn't this what he? This is this is where he worked up until recently, right? This is. Or did he just not work in this area? Oh, I don't think he worked. Home? I don't think he worked in that area. That's one thing that we were talking about earlier. Is we don't actually know what Encom does because we know. Well, we we know that they have this laser facility, and we know that they work on video games. But we were curious earlier about like the level six 
what is it that passed the the, the the code that gets rejected the code that they had to shut down they uh, uh level seven i think well, yeah shut off level right? level seven and then they were like okay well is it a is a is it a declension of power is level one mean you have access to everything and level seven mean you have access to some stuff or is level seven just a video game division and is level six just a laser division and is like level five the automotive division and is level two like the storage <laughs> division like like is it like is it just all the numbers of the different things that they're that, that this multi-level national conglomerate is into like so yeah well, that's uh, very interesting i i definitely assumed that level <clears throat> level one was you know uh sanitation okay right and, sure and and then level seven was you know top of either you know dillinger was level seven or maybe you know, dillinger must be a little higher than level seven but i assumed it was you know the higher up you go the more top secret or the more important those projects become so yeah i, I looked at it that way um excellent that's what th- i love i love thinking i love thinking that encom has an automotive division though <laughs> yeah with its helicopters with its cool helicopters that's uh right they would make some beautiful vehicles if they were doing that yeah yeah they say in the director's commentary that this was all shot mostly with available light all these interior scenes in the in the linear accelerator were all shot mostly with available light and they didn't have to do too much too much of their own lighting but but i imagine with this night sequence there's a big orange fill on the wall in this first shot and that seems to me like that would have to be set lighting as well as the uh, the amazingly lit hero shot of Dr. Laura Baines later as she comes up the ladder and looks around. Yes. Yeah. It's just it's an amazing shot and she looks fantastic and she's just lit perfectly and I I have to I have to imagine that was done with lighting. Yeah, I would say that this whole uh, this whole facility look you know makes you think of like a clean room, right? Where you would expect everybody to be walking around in white, uh, you know, the jumpsuits and, and yeah. you know booties and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and those those rooms always seem to be like brilliantly lit, so there's no shadows or anything like that. So yeah, you definitely get that vibe in here. Yeah, and that's one thing in the in the shots before this and in the the novel they talk about taking off booties and taking off gloves, and you sort of yeah. see them wearing lab coats earlier, but the 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 only other protective gear they have is hard hats and safety goggles but it's definitely one of those one of those places i wonder why they didn't suit up to go in here but i don't know i guess it makes sense you want them to be immediately recognizable right because they were suited like we've been here before already in the film right we saw yeah. the orange earlier yeah and they were suited up then right they had yeah. the coats on and the helmets and, <laughs> and they yeah, should have so. had like lead lined jumpsuits like i don't know the stuff that's happening there i just uh I can't imagine. Oh, that I mean, code. I, I know we, I know we can't. Uh, yeah, I, that minute that, when they do the orange, and she and uh, Doctor Laura is, you know, doing some last bit at programming, and she's standing right in front of the orange and the laser. I'm like, <laughs> how is that? That is not a well laid out room. No, it's not. It's <laughs> not. And the terminal is like right in front of the laser, as we as we see. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, I know you already talked about that minute. I, we don't have to rehash it, but it's just uh, I. In actually, we'll get a chance to I guess see it again. Oh yeah, we'll we'll see maybe. it again. So yeah. as uh, yeah. as they walk up as they walk up the stairs, we can see the huge lighted checklist, laser powering up sign hanging on the wall that was uh, freestanding back in minute fifteen when they were powering up the laser to digitalize the orange, and yes. transport yep. it right. And when you when you saw the close up of the sign. In minute 15, the scale wasn't really apparent. You're like, I don't know how big this sign is. Is it like the size of a monitor? Or, but then when we mm. see it, see it on the wall back there, it's huge. It's massive. That's like 
you know, six feet by seven feet or something, that's a big, massive sign. So, and I guess that's an actual sign that they made that, that wasn't used just for the film. They didn't just make something for the film. That's like an actual piece of equipment at the Lawrence Livermore uh, Laboratory. So all those messages and everything that displayed on the on the on the on the board were all legit. They weren't just uh, yeah techno babble. Yeah, all the backlit ones, all the all the actual physical on the actual physical sign. I think those were all legit legit checklist signs, which is pretty cool. There's something about that that um, you know using that kind of thing. That's it. Those are those are signs with you know whatever painted on messages and stuff and they just they're only you know active when they're backlit um there's something about that that's very retro and so i don't retro, know if, yeah i don't know if 82 is retro we i guess 82 is probably retro now given that we're in 2019 but uh it still it makes me think of um makes you think of like mission control and the apollo missions and things that'd yeah. be something you'd see at mission control these backlit you know uh, you know, three, two, one launch kind of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's something about it that there's something nostalgic for me with those kind of signs. And uh, um, I, I, so I enjoyed it back in whatever it was minute, minute 15, but it's cool. Yeah. I didn't notice that here in this one. So yeah, it's like when you, when you see like mission control, like each number of the countdown of three, two, one has its own dedicated box with like a piece of plastic and a yeah. Christmas light behind it. It was like three, two, one. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's so analog and so, so analog. mechanical, but uh, yeah, it just it works. And it's and it's sturdy. Like we we get into that. Like in the in the in the creator commentary, they say that to achieve this slow aerial tracking shot uh, from above as they come in, as they as they walk mm-hmm. in, and the camera sort of just trucks back as you uh, as you go over there, they attach the camera to an existing crane in the facility that was above the laser. And oh, cool. this was the crane that helped to construct the laser and they joked that it was rated at five tons which was luckily just enough to lift the huge camera they were using back then right because it, oh it was a six i mean they're tongue-in-cheek but those 65 millimeter cameras like before shooting they had to decide whether or not to go with 65 millimeter or with vista vision but 65 millimeter was a bit more plentiful and available so they went with that and, uh, okay. but there's like it's like the mission control stuff they're sturdy and they last like they're made out of I don't know iron they say that they were blowing sand out of some of the characters because out of some of the cameras because they'd been used to film Lawrence of Arabia oh wow that's right? awesome and uh, they built those cameras like to last it was the same thing about the Hateful Eight remember the Hateful Eight did you ever see that uh, it's on my to-do list. Yeah. Uh, so no, I haven't seen it yet. I, I didn't. I didn't care for it very much. But Tarantino really made a big deal about the fact that he wanted to f- film the film in 65 millimeter to get amazing vistas, like they did in Lawrence of Arabia. So he was like, mm-hmm. "Where can I get 65 millimeter cameras like they used in Lawrence of Arabia?" And the studio was like, "Well, you can use the actual cameras that they used to film Lawrence of Arabia. You know, they're in a vault downstairs." Nice. You know, they're just. There's only. Like, did, there's you only say, like, did you say they're also the cameras that film Tron? Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. That's that's you know what that's as a as a, I'm sure especially Quentin Tarantino right for as a cinema you know as a cinema nerd or a cinemaphile or whatever yeah, to yeah, to know that this particular camera was part of making whatever movie might be that's that's 
that's like history right there. I, I guess I kind of assume like, oh, they, they've got millions of these cameras. So every time they make a movie, they're just using a new one. They pull it out of the box and yeah. off they go. But uh, Well, making those uh, lenses was a very time-consuming and, you know, craft-based, you know, knowledge-based endeavor. Like you can't, you can't just whip one up. I don't know how long they they take to make but i'd assume like if it if they someone told me it takes seven months to make that lens i'd say okay <laughs> sure makes sense you know sounds about right but <laughs> back when tarantino filmed the hateful eight there were only like seven of those cameras left in the world and six of them were in the vault downstairs at uh at universal or wherever that that studio was that filmed the hateful eight so i guess there were a few more of those back in 1982 they make it seem like there was more 65 millimeter cameras kicking around than VistaVision cameras, but from what I can, th- well, I guess that one guy with the broken viewfinder, I don't know if that took that uh, that camera out. <laughs> if there was ten and now there's nine because of that view. That's the last time they used. That's it. the yeah. last time, and then he <laughs> dropped it. You know, like what? <laughs> I remember I uh, back in high school, I was in a photography class and I had a like a $700 lens in my hand. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I dropped it? And everybody was like, yeah, that'd be funny. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, if I was all like, whoops, and I mimed dropping it, and then I actually I actually dropped it. <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> and it's one of those slow motion moments in my life because I, I dived for it, and I, I caught it. And I brushed it with my fingertips like two or three times and then finally caught it just before it hit the ground. But that's a lesson that's been burned into my brain. Is like, don't even pretend. Don't even joke don't around. Even joke, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> like... And then uh... Uh, the um, that's the slow tracking shot you were talking about. Yeah, um, I'm glad you called it out because I don't think I really appreciated the slow tracking shot. Yeah, because um, because what I've because yeah, it's very it's nice and smooth. But my note was really more about the the process of getting in here. Right, they they came up a set of stairs, then they now they're going uh, I think down a set of stairs, or maybe they're going across a ramp. Now they're inside the, um, say they're inside the linear accelerator, inside the framework or whatever yeah. it is. But now they're coming back up a set of stairs. This thing is there. There's, there seems to be no rhyme or reason. Yes, in some ways I'm like, like oh, Escher, Escher yeah. drawing or something. Right, and so it makes that's what you know leads me to think. Well, okay, that's got to be a movie set because these things go nowhere. But right, you know. But I also said, yeah, this definitely looks like a real place. So it's just a kind of amazing. Like you think about whoever designed this thing. It's like, well, I'm gonna have to have, you know, a spiral staircase here, and yeah, uh, looks like a couple, you know, ladders with chutes on them, and it's it's. You'd love to see it like in full operation. There's people constantly going up and down and through this thing, and. it it really seems to make no sense. Yeah, yeah. They get uh they get deeper and deeper, and then Flynn says, "When did they put this in?" And Doctor Laura Baines <laughs> responds, "Well, this is where we're working now. I've got a direct terminal in the laser target area. You can stay there all night if you have to." So I guess nobody works at night in these uh, in this in this facility. I guess right. everybody goes it, home at six. And do we know how long Flynn? It's been since Flynn has worked here, because I mean, this seems like it would be. If it wasn't here before, how long did it take to put all this stuff <laughs> yeah, in? Yeah, this did not take. This didn't take two weeks to put in, right? This is a this is a really big deal. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what he means by when did they put it in. I, I like to imagine that he's looking over to the corner and sees like a red bank of computers, 
and that's uh, and that's what he's talking about because if he's talking about this entire superstructure that yeah. obviously took two years to build it's been a matter of some debate like we don't know if he was fired like four months ago or if it was two years ago or what but the guard as they're sneaking in the guard that sees them it's not mentioned in the movie but in the novelization it the guard recognizes him not not exactly that oh that's flynn the guy that was fired he says oh i know that face i've seen that face so it hasn't been that long i imagine but it's the other thing that people were saying like do you think flynn created that arcade or do you think flynn just bought an arcade and hung a flynn sign out of it because if he built that arcade from scratch then it's probably been longer than two months I I definitely you know if you ask me that you ask me that question I'd say he built that yeah um, that to me uh, was I mean that that to me the place was like a labor of love yeah uh, you know the, the, I mean the, the the just the logo of Flynn's arcade just Flynn's hanging out in the front and the T-shirts that you know say Flynn's on this the design of that is a, is amazing. Um, you know the fact that he lives upstairs right yeah. he's got this cool pad upstairs <laughs> sweet pad uh, yeah to me he didn't that wasn't that wasn't uh he just lucked out and, and bought an arcade and had the apartment up up top i think he i think he built that from the ground up and, yeah um it's definitely get that yeah. money from <laughs> yeah yeah who knows like that's the thing as he mentions i'm scraping by on whatever i can squeeze out of this place and i'm like ah, right. the place right. is packed You've got a pretty sweet deal going on there, but yeah, the whole arcade market folded a couple of years later, so maybe that's what he can see in the writing on the wall already, or something like that. Yeah, but I would think a arcade machine pays for itself pretty damn quickly, right? I mean, yeah. as far as some, you know, you, you whatever you pay to get a new box in there or a new cabin in there, it's probably pays for itself in a week or two, in <laughs> and a, everything in else a, yeah. is just profit. In a busy, in a busy place, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, that's totally his place. That's my, that's my opinion. All right, cool. And now in this, the final shot of this minute here, um, when they come to Dr. Laura Baines's terminal, it's it seems to be obviously the camera guy. It's some guy with a camera standing on the desk or or perched on a girder or something, you know, like because it's it's shaky, like he's just he's he's just holding it, looking down on them or something like that. You can see that it's. It's a really wide, it's almost a fisheye because it's such a wide lens that it's almost a fisheye effect when this guy's looking down at them from wherever he's standing. Because I'm sure that, like, since this was an actual linear accelerator and not a set, they had to get the shots that they could get, you know, and work Mm -hmm. around the facility. It's like, well, can we take this part out to, like, no, no, you can't. (laughs) You know, like, oh, shoot, you know. I I would say, though, that this is, this is a fantastic shot. Um, I think the amount of detail and the amount of stuff that you can see. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, you know, thank God for this, you know, this, it's a see-through floor, right? It's just a great, so you're, you know, yeah. I don't know what I'm looking at, right? But there's, it's like a, a feast for the eyes as far as all the, you know, I got, I got exposed, you know, it looks like innards to a computer, uh, the cabinetry that, you know, buttons and dials and needles and, and, uh, it, there's a lot to take in there and just that quick shot uh i think it's awesome yeah for sure i love the, I love the dot matrix printer yeah <laughs> gotta have that 
again, this, wait a minute, and this this too. Again, we, I know we already talked about it once, and we'll talk about it again in the next minute. But this is this again. This is directly across from the laser. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is sure. also. <laughs> well, we'll go we'll but, go into but, that a little later. They, yeah, they had I'll, to... I'll save it. Save it. <laughs> so we get this beautiful tour of the linear accelerator at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. And I, I remember that big, what we were talking about before, the big particle accelerator that was built a few years back, the Hadron Collider. But that's a 27-kilometer-long yeah. circle of superconducting electromagnets pushing two high-energy particle beams at close to the speed of light in an ultra-high vacuum before being made to collide in order to discover, I remember they said at the time, they want to discover the secrets of the Big Bang of how the universe was created and it was just so alarming like why why oh my gosh what could go wrong this this is what happened this is what happens in the science fiction horror movie this is how it ends you know like yeah yeah there was that general unease right when you knew you're know, hearing about it in the news you knew they were going to be turning that thing on and firing it up pretty soon and yeah. was it the higgs boson that was the that thing was the one find, yeah that the particle right particle. and you know, as a science lover of science and science fiction, all that stuff just totally drew my attention. But I really didn't want to think about it too much because you're like, well, if it goes wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know, what could go wrong? Like, well, they could open a black hole and, you know, boop, we'd all be gone. And yeah. we, we'd never know. Like, well, <laughs> so I it was just, that uh, gen- just a tiny bit of unease that whole time. I hope it's quick. I remember just thinking, well, yeah. I hope it's quick. <laughs> you know? Right. We're just suddenly um, not here. That there's a, a reboot of the universe or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, and it's just a, I think it's stun. I think that thing is stunning as far as you know what what people are capable of, yeah. right? What science is capable. Let's yeah. build this gigantic. What is it? Twenty-seven mile long. Yeah. Underground. <laughs> it's just amazing the scope yeah, it, and it, scale it, of things. It goes through a couple of countries. It gets underground yeah. in a couple of countries or three countries or something like that. So. So, but uh, science, uh, science is cool. Science is cool, although sometimes, you know, as uh, as Patton Oswalt said, you know, a lot of coulda, not a lot of shoulda. You know. <laughs> yep. Okay, so a regular linear accelerator is more like a, like I said, like a laser gun, and they use mm-hmm. they use linear accelerators right now to customize high energy X rays or electrons to conform to a tumor's shape and destroy cancer cells while sparing surrounding normal tissue. So that's pretty cool. The first cool. the first medical linear accelerator or LINAC used for cancer treatment was first used in London in 1953. Like, oh. like way back then, I had no idea that this has been around. Not me neither. I mean there's there's a historical picture on the Wikipedia page of a little kid in 1957 named Gordon Isaacs, the first patient treated for retinoblastoma with an electron beam linear accelerator radiation therapy. And you can see this black and white picture of this little, like looks like six year old kid sitting in a hospital gown and sensible boots on a medical bed with the back of his head pointing at this eye of Sauron iron lung laser cannon. (laughs) It's just, oh, this poor little guy. Oh, uh, when was that? Was that the 50s, you said? Yeah, 1950s. The picture's from 1957, but the first time it was used was in 1953. And again, when you think about when you do, we're talking about mission control, right? And the Apollo missions and all of the, you know, the, the, the epitome of technology in the 60s, right? Which yeah. was still all analog and, you know, switches and dials and needles. And 
Yeah. It's 10 years before and they're shooting lasers and you're just like, oh my God, what kind of safety <laughs> systems <laughs> yeah. were, did they even exist? Or just like, I hope this works. It, uh, it reminds me of when they first set off the atomic bomb, right? They were like, mm. if we split the atom, it's going to start a chain reaction that'll cause a huge explosion. And they're like, oh, okay, how wide is the radius? And they're like, well, we don't really know if the chain reaction is going to stop or how wide the radius will be. We can make a guess, but I was like, you set this thing off knowing that potentially the chain reaction could just keep on keeping on, like maybe... And just annihilate everything. That yeah. would be it, just a firestorm, and there goes the planet Earth. Holy moly. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's a 60% chance that uh, we'll be okay. I'm like, I don't, I don't <laughs> like those odds. I don't really like those nope. odds. But uh, so this linear accelerator at the Lawrence Livermore Labs that we're seeing right now is trying to create that situation where it blasts target pellets in an attempt to make an explosion that gives more energy than it gets. So it's just full of the coolest, most top secret stuff. They grow these quartz crystals that are like the size of like an office desk that they can use as, as, as prisms. They have just all these patents that like multi-optic patents that just are amazing. And I, but I wonder if all the square pipes that they're walking through right now, is that just the scaffolding for the laser? Or is that what the laser actually travels actually travels through? Like, are there 45-degree mirrors at all of the corners, and that's what the laser goes through? Ooh, I like that. It's probably just the scaffolding, but I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know, it's again, when you look at the, the maze that they have to go through, like if there's no, there seems to be no rhyme or reason, and if if what you are theorizing is correct, it makes more sense. If like, well, this laser has to have all these crazy towers and 90 degree angles and all this stuff, and this is what it's going to look like. And if we want to maneuver around in it, we're going to have to be going through the Escher stairwells yeah. and stuff. So, so rather than, uh, yeah, I like I like that idea. I think I thought scaffolding, but I like it that it's part of the laser. Yeah, that sounds cooler. <laughs> I hope it is. I the more I look at it, the more I imagine it's not. But I I, I hope it is. But the a little bit of the history of linear particle accelerators. Uh, it's a type of particle accelerator that accelerates charged subatomic particles or ions to a high speed by subjecting them to a series of oscillating electro potentials along a linear beam line. So, it's a it's got to be a straight line. For that's the other thing where I'm like. If you bounce it around, it might lose fatality. So that might not be, uh, they might not bounce it around inside that scaffolding there. And the, the principles for such machines were proposed by Gustav Ising in 1924, while the first machine that worked was constructed by Rolf Witterow in 1928 at the RWTH Aachen University. Uh, linear particle accelerators have many applications. They generate X-rays and high-energy electrons for medicinal purposes and radiation therapy. And they also serve as particle injectors for higher-energy accelerators and are used directly to achieve the highest kinetic energy for light particles, uh, for particle physics. So, yeah, if you want to shoot light at a really, really high speed, this is what they're for. I, I just, if they ever get it down to something handheld... Like this is this is the this is the phaser, right? Yeah, I, I, as you're as you're describing like what these things are used for, I'm thinking of like what are the most um, 
uh, wasteful things they're good for. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, these are all have high high practicality and stuff, but you know they also make really cool rainbows when you shoot them. You know, so yeah. you can use them at a party. Uh, you know what I mean? This is a this is some serious stuff, but you would think they'd have some kind of um, entertainment value. Oh, I love it. Yeah, sure, right? I think yeah, with those kind of powers though, they just they might even bust right through a mirror. I don't even know if they right. could use right. them for like. You know, like I was thinking of the phasers, you could, you know, set them to destroy or set them to tumor removal, you know, set them to like. Yeah, you know. hold still while oh, I. Hold still. <laughs> yeah. Would you say it's about an inch and a half inside you? Okay, I'll just turn this <laughs> dial right here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, when it was invented, it could it could produce higher particle energies than the existing Cockroft Walton Accelerator and the Van de Graaff generator, which were in use at the time and were used to help create the atomic bomb. And they're so 1950s science fiction, you have to you have to check them out. The Van de Graaff generator is like two metal spheres. It's like an yeah. Earth and a moon, right? And then uh, the Cockroft Walton accelerator is this giant oval of steel with this zigzagging ladder of pipes leading up to it that's like a story tall it just all the all the uh sort of art direction for 1950s science fiction horror movies just makes so much more sense now when you check out this old equipment because you're like this it's all so practical and it's also yep. made out of like iron and steel and there's not a lot of plastic or circuit boards <laughs> you know right no ceramics or anything like that yeah it's all yeah. all metal uh, yeah. We use water as a coolant, so this is the water dumper part. You know, like it's all very, very wow. you know, practical, like that. You know, very cool. Uh, in terms of the screenplay and the novel, there's no real differences. It's pretty straightforward. This minute is just them tiptoeing in. Oh, uh, that's the thing. Do you know what laser stands for? Did you know that laser was an acronym? I think I did know that, uh, like probably light amplification, but I'm going to, I'm going to lose it after that. You got it. Uh, oh, I you, got it. You got the first two. It's a uh, light amplified by stimulated emission of radiation. Yeah. I would, I would have struggled with that last part. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember that was burned into my brain in high school. Cause that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's I, I know. I think I brought it up last minute, but I, all this talk about lasers and everything, I do keep jumping back to real genius. Yeah. Um, and specifically when they, you know, they said, hey, I got to get you out of the lab. You guys are working too hard. And so, you know, Chris Knight fires up this cool laser they've been working on, putting all their energies into, and he puts a little mirror down and, like, directs it out the door. Yeah. And ends up they have to follow the laser across campus to some some beach party they've got set up in the gym. <laughs> so I love it. I get all, this, all this talk about lasers, that's it's what's been running in the back of my head this whole time. So. I gotta watch that movie again. It's been a really long time. That's one that definitely deserves a revisit. I think there it has some fantastic moments in it. I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some, eh, but uh, yeah, there's. Uh, I'm a huge fan. That's one of my probably when I look at '80s films, that's probably my top ten for sure. You know, Val Kilmer, he really could do it all. He had the com, <laughs> he had the comedy chops like from Top Secret, and he also had the the acting yep. chops like from Heat. It's all he had a great career. But I, it almost feels like he didn't have the career that he that he should have had. You know, there's like a, you can say that about yeah. lots lots of actors, I guess. And he achieved a level of fame that most don't. So I guess it's all it's all good. But I sort of feel like he was poised for something greater than what happened. 
you know. Right. He got to be Batman at one point. But yeah. yeah. What? What? Where else did? Yeah. You know, what? What happened after that? Yeah. Look, I don't know if that was his last movie, but I know that was. You know. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of Tombstone. I'm thinking of Batman. Those different things. But yeah, where did he go? And then uh, Kiss, um, uh, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and then yep. that was uh, was a big one. But he, well, he had uh, he got cancer a while ago, and he's pretty rough right now. Oh no! If I didn't you, know if, that. Yeah, if you look up a video of him, his his voice is is gone. He was in a music video recently, and uh, yeah, forget the music video he was in. But it's just him sitting on a bed, and it's a sad song. And oof, he looks oh. he looks. It's too bad. It's too bad. Well, now you're bumming me out. I don't. You know, it's a horrible. It's a horrible note to end on. You know, like. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, so uh, let's try to spin it. Um, I know that again. This it's 2019. We're. Uh, uh, we got treated to, I think it was this summer, right? That uh, there's a Top Gun sequel coming out. That's Maverick. right. That's right. And uh, uh, I, 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 my fingers are crossed that we might see Iceman in it. So I hope so. Maybe we got, maybe he got in there, and we'll get, we'll get a little bit of that in, in, uh, in that sequel. But uh, I sure hope um, so. Yeah, Val Kilmer, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Well, that takes us about to the end of this minute. What do you think? Yeah, I'm all good. I think uh, um, I'm ready to ready to go. All right, cool. Well, uh, I guess tell us, Chris, where can people find you if they want to hear more of you? I keep forgetting, but yeah, you can find <laughs> me and my co-host uh, Dave Stoker. We're part of the Star Trek Minute. Uh, we're talking uh, talking through all the Star Trek films. Um, uh, we kind of broken the rules. We started with Wrath of Khan, and now we are just kind of we don't know which direction we're going in. Uh, uh, but uh, you can find us at StarTrekMinute.com, uh, and we're on all the social medias as at Star Trek Minute. So, uh, uh, yeah, definitely give a listen, uh, and I'd uh, love to love to hear your feedback um, uh, when you check it out. Excellent. Now, did you start with Wrath of Khan because somebody else has already done the, the motion picture, or did you just not want to do the motion picture? <laughs> well, so so it was... Uh, hey, I I want to I love this movie by minutes thing. Uh, I love Wrath of Khan. It's like right. one of my favorite movies. Uh, let's just let's let's see. You know, the Star Wars minute guys said, yeah, go for it. You know, and I'm like great. And we we dove into it. And then not too long after, Pete the retailer was like, oh, oh well, how come we didn't start in release order and do the, <laughs> the motion picture first? And we're like, so our plan is to come back to it. And okay, I think cool. we made the right decision because I think we really. It needs, uh, I think the motion picture needs um, some experience. And, you know, having, the, if that was my first podcast doing that movie, I yeah. think I'd be doing it a disservice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're going to come back around to it at some point after we hit uh, a couple more of the the, the films, uh, the original series films. Um, and, uh, and we think we're gonna need we're gonna need a lot of guest hosts for yeah, that one yeah. because there's so many there's so many twenty minute stretches in that film that is just one <laughs> you scene. You're gonna happens. need a lot of perspectives on it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so we're looking forward to getting back to the motion picture at some point, but we're uh, we're kind of working through the uh, probably two through six first and right then on. come back. Right on. Yeah, yeah you'll 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 need uh, you should maybe do it after five for a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah or that yeah five is going to be i'm not looking forward to five but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah all right well and if you want to get in touch with us check out more at tronologically speaking.com drop us a line on twitter at tronologically speaking send us an email at tronologically speaking at gmail.com or join us on facebook at the tronologically speaking tron minute by minute listeners page shout out to pond five for the music and special thanks to the Star Wars Minute, as always, that started it all. You know, go on over to Movies by Minute and see if your favorite movie is there. At the last count, there was like 140. Chances are it is. 
But if it isn't, then consider doing one yourself. I find them to be a very welcoming community with lots of information. So do get involved. Uh, do you want to do a little end of line on three? Yes, I do. All right. One, two, three. End, end of, of line. line. Oh, they want it.